coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, there on the other end of the line, is my co-host Curtis, and after a couple of days of waiting with bated breath to see how it would all play out, we got our guy. Jamie Newman, the grad transfer from Wake Forest, is here in Athens, enrolled in classes, and ready to participate as a mid-year enrollee. He'll be here doing everything through the spring and on into the summer as well. I know some of you guys were maybe holding out hope for a De'Eric King, or maybe you just prefer KJ Costello, but King still isn't officially in the transfer portal. We don't know if he's actually going to leave Houston, so our coaches couldn't even talk to him. And as Curtis and I both told you guys last week, Newman was our, at least for us, our number one option here on the podcast the entire way. So as far as we are concerned, this was incredible news for our football program. But there are a lot of different angles to look at this development from. You know, you got to think about what does it mean for our much derided offensive scheme? What does it mean for Carson Beck? Does Newman's talent match the hype and excitement surrounding his commitment? Should we just flat out assume that Newman's going to win the job and be our guy game one against Virginia? Does he make our offense better? Will he be better than Jake Fromm was? What implications does this commitment have on the five-star 2021 quarterbacks that we're recruiting, the Brock Vandegrifts and the Caleb Williams of the world? Uh, just a lot of different angles to look at this from and, and just a lot of factors to discuss as well. So with all the attention, all the interest surrounding this specific transfer, and I was getting blown up by our listeners on social media and email over the weekend. So I know the interest is strong. I had a great time uh, kind of interacting with a lot of people out there. It was a lot, a lot of fun discussing some good news for once here with our program. So with all of that kind of floating around, we decided to make this a quarterback-centric episode the Jamie Newman episode, where we just break down this Newman transfer from every angle and try to answer all those questions that I just posed. And and I spent a large chunk of the weekend going back and watching some of Wake Forest games from last year, so I can try to give you as accurate and educated a take on all this as I possibly can. And, and as I said on, on the show last week, I watched Wake play at least four or five times throughout the season, but I wanted to go back and dial in on Newman specifically and what his strengths and weaknesses are. So I went back this weekend, I rewatched the Duke game, the Louisville game, which if you guys didn't see that, that was one of the better games of the year in all of college football that almost no one watched. It was a great, fun game to watch. Maybe didn't have a ton of stakes involved in it, but it was still a lot of fun to watch. Louisville ended up pulling that one out there at the end. And I also went back and watched the Pinstripe Bowl from a couple weeks ago against Michigan State. I saw the NC State uh, and the Boston College games to go back and watch. Uh, And I think I have the Clemson game as well. So you need to go back and watch that one as well. But before we get too far in the show, I do want to tell you guys about our friends at Omax CryoFreeze. Whether you're an athlete, a weekend warrior, or just someone who deals with constant joint pain, back pain, muscle soreness, arthritis, you name it, finding a natural remedy that instantly works it might seem non-existent, uh, but most over-the-counter pain relievers such as Icy Hot, Bengay, those kind of things, they only focus on one basic cooling effect, which temporarily takes your mind off the pain until the pain returns 
in an hour or so. So if you're looking to get rid of the nagging muscle and joint pain immediately, while also providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze CBD, developed by Omax Health. This non-prescription triple action pain relief roll-on is specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce the inflammation that gives you all that trouble, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part is, this is 100% natural, guys. 100% natural CBD-powered remedy that works its magic within 10 minutes of application and the relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than the over-the-counter products. It's super easy to throw in your gym bag, take on the go for emergency pain relief, simply roll it over where it hurts, and ice out the pain with an Arctic blast. Omax Health is offering my listeners, all of our listeners here, 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME to take advantage of this incredible savings. That is O-M-A-X-Health.com. Enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off CryoFreeze site-wide. But all right, guys, let's get to the good stuff and let's start here. I don't want to be the homer who uh, just disingenuously tries to put a positive spin on everything just to do it, just just like sit here and declare right now, all right, we got Jamie Newman, we're going to win that championship, done deal, let's not even play the season, we got this. Uh, I am, for sure, for sure, by nature, I'm an optimist, and I do innately try to look for the good in most situations, but I also don't want to sell anyone a bunch of BS that I don't truly believe. I really try my best here on this show, whether you believe me or not, to give you guys my true, authentic take on things. I don't try to... to uh, just manufacture certain takes to get clicks or anything like that. Just try to tell you guys what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm thinking. I don't want to sit here and say, oh, yep, now we're going to win that title unless I really believe it. So with that in mind, I think it's fair and also necessary for us to discuss just how good Jamie Newman really is. There are certain things we know about Newman. We know he's 6'4", about 230 pounds. We know he's billed as a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, we know he threw for a little under 3,000 yards in 12 games as a starter this year, rushed over 700 yards when you adjust for sacks. We know he threw 26 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Uh, what a lot of people might not know, though, and what I haven't really heard or seen many people talk about is that Jamie Newman got beat out by a freshman last year in Sam Hartman, going back to the 2018 season, in the preseason, heading into that season. Uh, but Hartman, after starting most of that year, at least the first two-thirds of that season, broke his leg in early November, and in steps Jamie Newman, and he led Wake to three wins in their final four games, including two upset road victories over Duke and a, and a solid NC State team. They weren't good this year, but last year, NC State was good. He got those two wins... Uh, just to get Wake to a bowl. And uh, but when he was inserted in the starting lineup, like Wake was not on track to go bowling uh, in 2018. But he comes in, kind of sparks the offense a little bit, and he was able to cap it off with a bowl win over a solid Memphis team, the Birmingham Bowl, in 2018. So in those three victories down the stretch in 2018, Jamie Newman completed 67% of his passes for 267 yards, eight touchdowns, and only one interception. He also added 62 yards per game on the ground as well. So he took that momentum to end that 2018 season into the offseason and then was then able to beat out Sam Hartman this time around and was the starter for 12 of Wake's 13 games this season. The only game he did not start was the Florida State game because he had to sit that one out due to injury. And he, and he had a very, very good season. So Kurt, when you take all of that into consideration and you actually like watch this guy play, does the talent 
match the hype surrounding Jamie Newman's transfer here to Athens? I think it does. I mean, outside of, you know, when Justin Fields and people like that were transferring, I think this is close to as home run transfer as you could expect, especially out of the grad transfer route. I mean, just like when Joe Burrow transferred, there wasn't a lot. I mean, yeah, there was hype, but nothing like what you're hearing out of Jamie Newman. And I think he kind of backs it up for the most part. I mean, he put up really good stats on a above average weight team that won some games. But if you notice, especially when he went down injured, um, their offense was extremely stagnant. Um, they had the one really good receiver, which helped everything. But uh, for the most part, I feel like he can do it. I mean, he can do it with his arms and his legs. And I think that's the one thing that if anything is going to translate, I think that the legs are the biggest aspect that may help him be successful in the SEC. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned this Wake Forest team was an above-average Wake Forest team, and I would submit that Jamie Newman was a big reason, maybe the biggest reason why Wake Forest was an above-average team this year, which for which for Wake Forest, call them above-average, that's about the high watermark for a Wake Forest program. I think this year their eight wins was the was the highest win. So I think they had eight, eight wins a couple of years ago also, but they haven't had more than eight wins in over a decade in a season. So for him to be able to get Wake Forest, even in the ACC, I get in the ACC wasn't great this year. But it's still Wake Forest. So and I like what you said there at the beginning, like in terms of like going out and getting a guy. Like once Fromm makes the announcement, wasn't this – would you say this is about as good of a uh, of, of a guy that you're going to get out there anywhere? Yeah, and especially going the grad transfer out, you're in a lot better shape than when we were that year where we had to rely on someone like Grayson Lambert. And we were in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, he could be just like Lambert. The big difference that makes me feel a little bit better about him over, say, Lambert was Lambert had trouble keeping his spot at Virginia. Now, this guy was the unquestioned leader, and in my opinion, probably the second best quarterback in the ACC behind a likely number one pick next year in Trevor Lawrence. I think you made that argument that he was the second best quarterback in the league. I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I would oh, uh, yeah. I think you can make that argument. North Carolina had a pretty good guy. Sam, yeah, uh, Sam, Sam Howell, Howell was really good. That he just didn't have – the uh, leg skills, per se. Yeah, yeah, a little different dynamic there. But Howell was really good. But he was definitely top two or three for sure in, in the ACC this year. But, yeah, I think when Fromm goes pro, we got to have somebody. we got to bring somebody in. And, and in my opinion, would you agree with me that this guy, that, that Jamie Newman was the best guy out on the market right now for us to get? Was he the best guy? Yeah, I think 100% of all the guys, especially uh, since Derek King never entered the transfer portal, if right. it was between him, Costello, and I believe there was one more person um, that I really don't know who else we could have got. Oh, really, it was Costello and Newman were the top two that we were yeah. looking at. I mean, originally when I, when I found Costello was going to transfer, I was like, okay, let's go get that guy. Then a couple days later, I found Newman's in transfer. I was like, no, let's go get that guy because he brings the legs. He brings that dynamic to the equation. Um, and I think that's the thing that why I kind of most excited about him. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to outrun everyone because this is the SEC and linebackers are quick and everything. But I still think he's mobile enough. You know, I was talking to someone. He reminds me of a better version of Felipe Franks. You know, the big body that runs decently, um, but he can just throw better. That's very. That's an interesting comparison. I, I mean, I've heard some people say Tim Tebow, and I'm like, I, I actually think he's more athletic than Tebow. I think was. he's, he's a, better a better passer, passer. than Tebow. Yeah. Also. And I know that's hard to say because a lot of people consider Tim Tebow one of the greatest players in college football history, at least in the past 25, 30 years or whatever. Um, and you're saying, wait, he's as good as that guy? Like, come on, let's be real here. But I mean, like, Tebow was really good, right? I mean, Tebow was a, he was really good for that for that moment in time, right? He had a lot of talent around him. He had Urban Meyer, who who, who he fit his system to a T. So it was, it was a perfect fit, a perfect situation for Tim Tebow. I mean, 
I don't think Tim Tebow is the most talented quarterback we've had in the past 25 years, although some people will call him one of the best players we've had, but I don't think he's the most talented player. I think you can make an argument that Jamie Newman, like he fits that profile, bigger, physical, mobile-type quarterback, but I, I'm, I agree with you. I think he is a more natural passer and a more fluid athlete than than, he, than Tim Tebow was. Um, but I have heard that comparison. Uh, Felipe Franks, that's an interesting one. Uh, I haven't heard that. I think, I'll have to well, I think just because of the, like, the type player they are where they're um, a big, powerful runner – I get it. Um, good yeah, strong yeah, arm. Yeah, for, I mean, Frank's had the good strong arm, but I think that the where Newman's better is in the accuracy. I would I would agree with that. Well, let's talk about his strengths and weaknesses here for a minute. So obviously we mentioned his legs, so that that's certainly something he brings to the table. But when you watch this guy play, what what are the specific strengths? And then also I mean, we, we can't ignore the weaknesses because he's not a perfect quarterback. Um, I'm gonna start with the weaknesses. Um, I think my biggest weakness to him is it's weird because he has the legs and he's mobile, but it's almost like he wants to stay in the pocket and try to let things develop, um, almost yeah. to a fault where at times he'll take sacks where you're thinking, man, with the legs you have, you shouldn't be taking sacks like that. I, I agree with that, and I, you guys know I've, I, I've made it clear. I've I actually watched quite a bit of Wake Forest this year. I know it's hard to believe, but I did. Uh, and that's one thing I noticed even before I thought he was a possibility of coming here. I mean, I was I, – I know one of the reasons I watched them so much this year is I called them early in the year against North Carolina. And I was like, wow, this quarterback's really good. I like this guy. So I just want to keep watching them over and over. When I find players like that, that I like, I want to watch them. Uh, but that, but as you watch more and more, you see a lot of – there's so much good, right? I'm really excited about getting it. But there are some things like that. To me, it's just general pocket awareness is is the big – I don't want to say bugaboo. Uh, but the, if there is a, a weakness, I think that's the biggest one. As you said, that with those legs, you think you should be able to have a little more escapability, which he did show at times, but maybe not as consistently as as, as you would like to see. There are times where it, it's almost like – yeah, I don't want to say deer in the headlights. Again, that's maybe a little too strong. But there are times he kind of froze in the pocket, uh, didn't see the pressure come. And it's kind of just the feel in the pocket. I'm not even talking about blitzing. I'm talking about you know just have that internal clock in your head where well, – Yeah, you, that's one of the bigger, better things about Jake is he had that internal clock, and I think that's where uh, Newman probably – the one part in his game that he could improve on. Yeah, and like I know our offensive line was really good in terms of protecting Jake. We had a great sack numbers this year, but Jake Fromm was a big part of that as well in terms of him just understanding where deep what, what defenses were trying to do to him pre-snap, understanding where the pressure is coming from, and having that feel and, and that internal clock and getting rid of the ball. And I think that's something that Newman needs to improve on. I think that's something he can do with better coaching in a different kind of system. You have to understand their system was drastically different than ours. A lot of the time they were very heavy RPO-based uh, offensively. And a lot of it was one read. And like if that read wasn't there, he's like, oh, my God, what do I do? So I think that's that accounts for uh, quite a few of the situations, as you mentioned there, where you know he – he kind of just looks kind of stuck there, like, what are you doing? Well, you got you got to skip the pocket, you got to do something. But it's like when that one read wasn't there, he's like, I don't have anywhere else to go with the ball. Because and in in a lot of situations, that's kind of how their offensive weight force was structured. Um, so I think I think for me, I, I think you're right. Just to feel, even like I said, not even when you're getting blitz, but just like when your offensive line gets beat. And let's be real, guys, that offensive line, if you watch them play, straight trash. All right, it's a miracle they won eight games. And I think, to me, that's another testament to how good Jamie Newman can be with that horrific offensive line, really the right side and right tackle in particular, just flat out terrible. Um, and so, but just being able to feel when that, when those guys get beaten, that pressure's coming, having that clock and just being able to see that those are kind of things I think he needs to work on a little bit, but those are things that, you know what, you can fix that. You can work on those kind of things. You can't fix that athletic system. He's got that. Uh, so again, pocket awareness, feel uh, just being, I think he's be a little better pre-snap. A lot of people are trying to compare him to how good he can be uh, with Jake compared to Jake Fromm. I think where Jake had him clearly is, is just the pre-snap stuff, being able to understand what defense are trying to do to you on a down on down, down in, down out basis, understanding where to go with the ball, the decision-making. 
I think uh, Newman did throw 11 interceptions this year, and, and that's a pretty high number. Um, and, and some of them, like some of them, were not his fault. There were a couple I remember off the top of my head that weren't really on him, but there were a couple where I'm just you watch back and like, dude, what were you th- honestly? What were you thinking? They're like, whoa. Where are you trying to fit that ball into? So I, I think just decision-making, understanding what defense is trying to do to you, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think, again, getting into a pro – because he wants to be more of a pro-style quarterback. Um, obviously, use the skills that he has, but to go to the NFL to take the next step, he wants to be able to do some more pro-style stuff, which is – they just didn't do that at Wake Forest, guys. They just – if you watch Wake at all, you can see very clearly they just don't do that kind of stuff. They're, like I said, extraordinarily heavy on the RPOs. Which you'll see some of the NFL, but not near as much. So, and we'll, we run some of that too, but we also run some pro style concepts that Wake just doesn't really do. So, there are some weaknesses there that we need to work on. There's no doubt there, but the strengths also, Kurt, what would you say? Obviously, the legs, what else comes to mind? Um, de- definitely accuracy on the deep ball. I think that's one of his best attributes, is how well he throws the deep ball. Um, one of the biggest differences in him and Jake is Jake had trouble with really touch. And I think that's one of the where areas where Newman is very, very good. And I always got frustrated at times when people talk about Jake Fromm's arm and I didn't have any arm. I mean, does Jake have the strongest arm? No, but his arm was plenty strong enough to make every throw needed to make. But Newman's arm is is stronger, right? So you can push the ball vertically down the field a little bit more. You can fit the ball in the tight windows a little bit better, which if you go, I mean, pro football focus, and you, and you guys know my take on pro football focus, uh, it's good to have all the information you can get. I don't exactly know what their methods are and, and their formulas, but according to their formulas and their calculations – uh, Jamie Newman had the second highest percentage of uh, completions of deep balls of 20 plus yards. And then they, whatever they call, I guess they call it their tight window measure. I think he was top three in terms of fitting balls into tight windows. Again, I don't know how they measure that, but that's according to pro football focus. But, but if you watch them play, like those numbers kind of backed up of what you see on the field. He does fit the ball in tight windows. He's got that good, strong arm on all the RPOs. There's, those are some very tight windows, some quick decisions. Um, so you see that you see the deep ball. I mean, he throws some gorgeous. I mean, in the bowl game, in the pinstripe bowl against Michigan State, he threw a couple balls just on the money down the field, even without his best two best receivers in that game, which he didn't have really the last third of the season. So I love that about him. You're right. I love his decisiveness. Uh, he d- might not always make the right decision sometimes, uh, but uh, as you can see with the eleven interceptions, but he's decisive. Like he, he makes pretty quick decisions. That's one of the reasons I think he was so deadly with the RPO game this year is you have no time for a decision and you've got to make a decision. You've got to get the ball out of your hands. And he did a really good job of that. I would like to see him be able to come off the first and second read a little bit more consistently. But I don't know how much weight for his offense allowed him to do that. If you watch them play, and I don't know their, I don't have their playbook in front of me, but it seems like it's a lot of one and maybe two retype stuff. And then the quarterback's got to go or try to make something happen, try to extend the play. So I think, again, I think that's one of the reasons he tried to, that he wanted to be a grad transfer this year. But yeah, obviously he's, he's got athleticism. And as a runner, you mentioned, he might not be a burner as a runner, like, but I'd say he has legit four, six to four, five speed. Is that oh, fair? yeah. I think he's very deceptive. It's from the runs I watch, a lot of times, especially DBs, feel like they have angles on him. And then he they, he ends up just getting away. Yeah. I mean, he's not a four, four guy, four, three, anything like that. But I'd say, I mean, definitely, definitely four, six, and potentially in the four, five range, which for a guy that's 230 pounds at six, four, that's moving. All right. And he runs, and he, he'll use this. A lot of guys are that big, don't necessarily use that, that 
size and that power to their advantage. But he does. He, he'll run with some power. He'll put his shoulder down, which to me is really exciting in the short yard situations. With yeah, our offense. especially an area where we struggle the most. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you – because, I mean, even if he doesn't carry the football, just the fact that he's back there uh, makes the running game even more effective because you have to have a guy account for him at all times in those short yard situations. And obviously, in the, inside the red zone, we got to be able to run the football. Uh, having a quarterback that can do that and can run with power between the tackles, that is something that is extraordinarily valuable in the modern era of college football. And that's something I've been kind of – I've been jonesing for. I know we had the guy in Justin Fields a couple years ago, but it didn't quite work out. But I'm glad to be able to have that in, in uh, incorporate. hopefully incorporate new offense. We'll see how all that plays out. But, uh, yeah, now I, I will say this, Kurt. Like, in the interest of, of objectivity, again, I, I'm not trying to blow smoke up anyone's backside here. That's certainly not my intention. I want to try to be as real as I can here. Well, he, he certainly had a, a, I would say, at least a good statistical season, potentially a very good statistical season, especially when you consider where he's playing and the, the players he has around him. Uh, he, his numbers really did drop against the best defenses he faced this season. That, that You have to say that. Against the, type of, against the type of defenses he'll see on a regular basis in the SEC, he was um, not as good in those, in those situations this past season. Against the, the four top 50 defenses he faced this year, which are actually the four bowl teams they played this year, which were Clemson, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and Michigan State in the bowl game. And against those four top 50 defenses, he completed 46.7% of his passes for only 167 yards a game, six touchdowns to six interceptions, did have 45 yards rushing in uh, per game in each of those four games. Now, if you look at the other eight games he played against non-bowl teams, he completed 65% of his passes for 275 yards a game, 20 touchdowns to five interceptions. Curtis, how much is that disparity between the numbers he was able to put up against the best teams he played and the, the average to not-so-good teams he played? How much does that concern you? Does that give you a little bit of pause on what he might be able to do for us this year? No, not at all, because I think the biggest thing is, especially when you start playing those good teams, you can start seeing – the disparity, um, you know, the offensive line, things like that, all that stuff was extremely exposed. And I was uh, saying the Clemson game, if anyone watched that, he had zero, absolutely no chance in that game. The, and that's the, when you play destroyed. good teams, you get really exposed to the lack of talent around you. I mean, even think about Jake. I mean, Jake struggled against good teams. I think everyone does, but yeah, everyone's numbers will, like, that's the thing about like, when you give numbers like that, of course it's the best teams, your numbers aren't going to be as good, but that's a, like 65% to 46%. I mean, that's a, that's, that's, oh, a yeah. no, I think that is a big change, but I also think that's a disparity, especially in the ACC. Um, we start looking at everything. Yeah. And, and, and you have to factor, like, so they played North Carolina, like early in the, I think it was like the third or fourth game of the year. It was kind of when they caught my attention but all those other games, Clemson, Virginia Tech, uh, Michigan State, were in the last third of the season. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, that was after they had multiple injuries to their top players at the wide receiver position. Uh, Sage Surratt, who was a 1,000-yard receiver in just eight games, he went out early in the Virginia Tech game. It was actually, that was the week that, we, that um, if I remember correctly, I believe that was the same week that Alabama played LSU. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'll go back and check that. But I think that was the same week. Because I was actually trying to watch some of the Wake uh, Virginia Tech game, in, or maybe that was the Clemson game, one of those games. But uh, Surratt gets hurt in the Virginia Tech game early in that game. He's out, and then Scotty Washington, who, in my opinion, watching them this year, was their second best receiver. He was out that basically the same stretch that Surratt was out. They both are gone, which means they were left with Kendall Hilton, who was a good receiver, but he was really, in my opinion, their third best option, their their best receiver. And when you're talking about a team like you mentioned, they were cursed with the personnel. 
when you talk about Wake Forest, yeah, they might have a couple good guys at a couple spots. And Surratt is a legit, like, go-to receiver. He's a number one guy. That guy's an NFL player. He's really freaking good. And I thought Scotty Washington was really good as well. But even though they could have a couple of guys like that at spots, does Wake Forest have the depth to be able to make up ground, like, be able to, like, actually um, fill in for those guys when they have elite players like that go down? No, not at all. I mean, and that, that's the biggest They can't compensate for it. I mean, even, let's be honest – with their best players, they were still going to struggle. Um, they, sure. you know, aren't going to give um, Newman much time to throw back there. Um, it's just a lot of deficiencies are going to be exposed. And I'm not saying that it's any excuse for him. Um, but as, you, as you've seen in the past, it can really affect how quarterback plays. Um, but I think that also, like, say you put him in against our offense, against good defenses like Florida and even Alabama that will be playing next year. I think the one difference is, is his supporting role is, is better suited to handle what we will handle or what yeah. we'll fix. Oh, the supporting cast, absolutely. Yeah, and look, I mean, I just – I know you can sit here. I know some of you are probably just saying, well, you're just making excuses for the guy now. And and you can take that track. And, and But, I mean, it's true, fine. but if you, like, take, take most quarterbacks, take them off a team, like a good team, put them yeah. on a different team, they'll still be good, but they're not going to be the Heisman winner or, you know, the, the, the stud they are. As good as Joe Burrow is, and he's great. Don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow put up the best – quarterback the best season by a quarterback I've seen since I've really been watching college football I mean he was that good this year but if he doesn't have if you take Jefferson and you take Chase off those off, off that team and you give him uh our, if you and let's say you give him oh, I don't know Demetrius Roberts and, and Matt Landers or Demetrius Robertson and Kyrus Jackson does he put anything close to those numbers absolutely not he simply does not and that doesn't mean Joe Burrow is not great Joe Burrow is great I'm just saying he's not going to put the same numbers without the elite talent that's why I and again I, I know I said this before it's like I, I always got frustrated this season when people would, would say well Jake Jake Fromm just so dependent upon the, the players around he, he doesn't make anyone better I'm like what what is he supposed to go out there and run the routes and catch the footballs and be in the right spot like I, I, I don't know what you want the guy to do and I always said I, I again bring this back to uh to our guy our new guy here in Jamie Newman Jake Fromm, I still believe, was the same quarterback he was this year. This year, I think he was the same quarterback he was the previous two years. The difference was the town around him, right? We lost so many weapons at the receiver and tight end position that it was just a totally different animal. And then you replace them with a lot of inexperience and youth. Those guys didn't really know what to do early in the season, uh, and there were some issues there. I still think Jake Fromm's the same guy, same guy, as I think we'll find out. So did a lot of NFL uh, scouts and a lot of NFL GMs and coaches out there. But Jamie Newman's very similar story. Put up great numbers when he's got his two best receivers. When those guys go out, he literally had one person in Hinton. Kendall Hinton was the only guy. He's the only guy he had to throw to. Other than that, I mean, you're throwing to a bunch of guys that honestly are like borderline uh, FBS players. Like they, they honestly like could have not even like, – they could have been – I'm not even talking about like out of the power five. I'm talking, they, those guys, all those guys could be like in the FCS level. Like that's what you have at Wake Forest. And then at running back, uh, I like watching Cade Carney. He says that he's a throwback. Kurt, did you did you really pay any attention to the running back Kate Carney this year? It was hard to because they were so bad. Yeah, I mean he's he was a I mean, guys. If you haven't watched him play, Kate Carney, God bless him. Love watching the guy play because it's kind of the guy I was back in the day. Is a glorified fullback. All right, he's a big physical. He looks about two hundred fifty pounds, and uh, he has no speed, no burst whatsoever. Runs physical, runs hard, can get the tough yards, can tackle that kind of stuff. So when your top two receivers are gone and you don't really have a dynamic running back, I mean, Kate Carney made Brennan Douglas look like an All-American. Just to, to put in perspective, some of you guys who who are Georgia guys and don't really watch much uh, watch many other teams. So like when you when you factor in all those guys are gone, Kate Carney is a glorified fullback playing tailback for you. You're basically the only thing on your entire offense 
yeah, it's going to be tough when you're going against Clemson, who might win the national championship tonight. We'll see what happens there. They certainly uh, have every chance to do that. I would probably pick LSU, but Clemson wouldn't shock me if they won that game. Clemson's really good. Uh, Virginia Tech really came on late in the season uh, and, and played really well. Michigan State, yeah, they lost their goals offensively. Michigan State's still a real, they were a top 20 defense nationally this year. And you're playing against those kind of defenses without your top players and essentially no one to be able to compensate for them. So I think you have to factor that in. And again, of course, what, on top of all those skill guys being gone, then you got your offensive line, which is flat out abysmal. Uh, it's not a recipe to have much success against the better competition. So I think you have to factor that in. Some people will look at the the, the cup half full. Some will look at it half empty. It kind of just depends on your perspective there. But I, I think there is some context that you certainly need to take into, into consideration there. All right, girl, let's move on here. Uh, one of the things I found interesting, uh, there's a lot of comments, a lot of, uh, a lot of pontificating on – the Jamie Newman transfer from all sorts of different sources over the weekend. But one that really kind of caught my eye, I'm sure a lot of you guys caught this as well, was our former head coach himself, Mark Rick, tweeted out that – and did you see this one, Kurt? I did, I did. Yeah, so in case you guys missed it, in case you were not on the, the Twitter thing, he tweeted out that after a season of watching Jamie, Jamie Newman at the ACC Network, you know, Mark's been, uh, been with him all year long, that he predicted that Newman would, quote, be the best quarterback in the SEC. Kurt, those are strong words coming from a guy who – and say what you want about the man. Say what you want about him. But that dude knows how to coach up quarterbacks. I mean, he's coached multiple Heisman Trophy winners, had some big-time quarterbacks that, that that he's helped mold into really good NFL players. So that, that was a very interesting comment to me. How likely do you think that Mark Rick ends up being proven correct on that prediction? Um, I think it's actually a very good chance because this is the one year – um, where you don't have a lot of returning quarterbacks. It's going to be a right. lot of proven guys. Right. I'm not saying they're not talented. I mean, most of them are four- and five-star recruits. There's guys so, that have to take the next step. They yeah, exactly. Done. This guy has done it. So I think that's the big thing that can uh, – his experience may put him over the edge, especially on a talented team that was so close this year. Um, and, you know, you got to think about it, too, that he's also going to improve. He's going to face one of the best defenses – one of the top five, you know, realistically, one of the top five defenses in the nation in practice every day. You know, Kirby's going to throw him to the ringer, trying to get him ready for the SEC play. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that he has the, definitely has the opportunity and the ability to be it. Yeah, what I would say is, I think it's a very real possibility. And look, this is where I don't want to go crazy because, like, sitting here and just yeah, I'm not claiming right now. I just don't. I don't think it's out of this world. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I am. Like, I'm not. I'm not ready to sit here and proclaim. You better believe it. Watch out, America. Jamie Newman's going to be the best quarterback in the SEC next year. I'm not ready to proclaim that at all. But I, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's outlandish to say that he could certainly compete for that distinction. Uh, I think it's a possibility, like you said, when you consider who's coming back. I mean, Tua, he's gone. Joe Burrow, he's gone. I mean, look at – like, who would be who would be the other possibilities there, Curtis? I mean, Mac Jones at Alabama with the receivers that he has coming back. Um, Kellen Mond, like would you, I mean, is that a possible, like Kellen Mond, could he be a guy who could be the best quarterback in the league next year? Not even close. I mean, he's, you would think like it'll be year three of the starter for him. So if he's gonna take the step, it's gotta be now. I mean, he'll be, a, he'll be one that's in the conversation, I think, but I, I would, I mean, I think Newman's better than Mond. I mean, I, I watched a lot of both players. I think Newman's better than Kellen Mond, um, and did it with less talent this year. Uh, Bo Nix, is he ready to take that step, Kurt? Mm, I'm, I, he may be, but thing is, he, he's lost quite a bit of talent around him. Yeah, well, he's lost some talent around him. It's also interesting to see what their offense is going to be like with Chad Morris coming in. Uh, that's and like, How is that dynamic going to work with Gus, who's going to be calling the plays, and, and how is that relationship going to work? That's interesting to me. 
uh, Halinski at South Carolina. Could he be a guy that's in for a big step next year? I believe he is, um, especially I think he fits well into the Bobo system. Right. Yeah, Bobo is going to do just miracles for him. And I think Halinski was good at the beginning of the year. I think he really tailed off the last half of the year. Now there were some injuries uh, at the skill play at the skill positions as well. So you get to factor that in. But I think Halinski is a talented player with Mike Bobo, who's got a great track record with quarterbacks himself. I think that's a real possibility. Um, who else? I mean, who else would you throw out there? Is anyone I'm missing? Like John Rice Plumley? I mean, uh, I I mean for we're all missing probably the guy um, Caltrass, probably the best in the league, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Kyle Trask. Yeah, I mean, if you ask yeah. Florida fans, it's their year. So he's the, well, he's the, fans are, they're already making reservations in Atlanta. Yeah, um, so he's the savior. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's kind of interesting to see this this Jamie Newman news come. Out. It, was, it was hilarious this weekend trying to watch the Florida fans kind of downplay us getting Newman. Uh, but and look, Kyle Trask is really good. I will give that guy credit. I'll, I'll I'll give him that. He is a he's a good passing quarterback. But and he's, I guess. Uh, can you call him mobile? I guess. I think Jamie Newman's a better, uh, a more athletic version of Kyle Trask. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about. It. There's no. He's far more athletic than Kyle Trask, and and he has a little bit more experience than Trask does. Uh, not a ton, but a little bit more experience. But Trask, yeah. I mean, so if Kyle Trask is the number one competition for the mantle of best quarterback in the SEC, I think Newman can can be up to that challenge. Again, I'm not saying he will definitively do that, but like, I don't think it's out of the question that. That uh, that he could certainly end up being by the time it's all said and done, one of the top two or three, if not the best quarterbacks in the SEC uh, by the end of the year. We'll see. So I, I'm not closing that door. I'm not ready to say it yet, but I'm, I'm certainly not closing that door when you look at uh, the guys coming back this year. All right, now uh, the next thing here, like, look, I have to admit this: when people over the past couple of days, past week or so, even before we actually officially landed him, when it was uh, certainly rumored that we were going to get him, I've had a lot of people ask me about my take on Jamie Newman and. You know, I kind of had a tough time answering that, like not based on his skills. I can, I can break that down for you all day as we've done the first part of this show. But really, it's it's more so like when asked that question, it's hard for me to say. I, what I get is like, how good can he be? Can he be better than Jake Fromm or offense be better? And it's really tough for me to answer that because right now we don't have all the information. I just simply don't know what type of offense Jamie Newman is going to be asked to play in. I don't know what it's going to look like. I have ideas of what it should look like and what I hope it looks like and what I think it might look like, but I I don't know that for sure. Uh, and like again, I've seen people say that he's going to be much better than Fromm was, but that's tough for me to sit there and agree with you and say that because I think a lot of that depends on what this offense looks like. If he's asked to play in the exact same pro style offense that we played in, played in the last four years, like I'm not so sure it's a great fit. I'm, are you with me there, Kurt? Um, I am in the fact that I think that, you know, we try to run RPO with Jake. Now, the only difference is we actually have the threat. Um, now, I'm not saying that that, that we aren't going to change because I think we are. But I think it was still opening up the offense a little bit more so than it was with Jake. As you mentioned in the show last week, how ends can crash and all those things, which yeah. at least take some pressure off. I'm not saying that that's the perfect offense, but I still think that just the mobile – I mean – my thing is, I don't think he's a better quarterback than Jake. I'm gonna be all honest; I don't think he is. But in what I think sense? That, in what sense? I, I, I mean, I just I think, yeah. I mean, all all the little things. Um, I think he's one of these guys that has all the skill sets, but just needs to refine his, you know, the minor the minor things, which you don't really focus on as much. Um, when you're running certain systems, but Jake would can you do say it all. he's more talented than Jake? Yeah, I would say he's more talented. I think Jake was the more prepared quarterback when it came. And not saying study wise, but I'm just saying you know the, probably the camps they went to, the coaching they got growing up. So Jake, was there another Justin Fields versus Jake Fromm there, like, similar to that to a degree? 
Like um, where, where Fields was the better athlete, the better talent, but Jake was more prepared from a from a mental standpoint and from a from a knowledge standpoint at that point. Yeah, I mean that's probably fair, and I think, but I think the big the, what I'm trying to get to is the fact that while Jake probably is a better pro prospect, I think our offense is going to more than likely be better under Newman because you'll see it where some of these guys. I think Newman could be a pro quarterback, but people of Newman's ability when it comes to, you know, the legs where the legs don't always hold up in the pros, but in college when you're still young before you're taking a lot of the hits, they can put up ridiculous numbers in college. Yes. yes. I do think right now, if they both came out this year, Jay Fromm is more prepared to all of the, 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 the mobile quarterback is, is certainly uh, making its way into the NFL as we saw this past weekend. But I think Jake right now is more prepared to go into an NFL training camp and win a job than Jamie Newman is. But I'm interested to see where Jamie Newman is after a year in our system where he's asked to do some things that he hasn't really had to do at Wake Forest. Uh, if he might be – because I think physically he is more talented. Uh, but I still he, – he, I think there's a, there was a pretty wide gulf, a gap between what Jake did like pre-snap and post-snap versus what Newman had to do at Wake Forest. So I think he's, he's got a, a ways to go there. But I think he will grow this year. Uh, now let me ask you this, like – Speaking of the offense, like logic would seem to dictate that once you land this guy, a guy like Jamie Newman with his skill set, if he does indeed end up being your starting quarterback, you need to alter your offense to fit his skill set. That's what logic would seem to dictate. But let's be real. We have been very stubborn about this in the past. Our coaching staff has been, at least Kirby, it seems, has been. So, Kurt, like, what do you think Jamie landing Jamie Newman means for our offense in 2020? Like, what will it do? Are we going to completely transform our offense or are we going to try to fit him in to what we've been doing? I think we're going to start transforming our offense because Kirby knows we can't win as we continue to do what we do have done in the past. Um, How confident are you in that? I'm pretty confident because I think he's getting frustrated in his own respect. Um, His stubbornness really got exposed this past year. And I mean, the thing is you can't continue to do, I mean, especially the O-line we had all these things, the weapons, the upperclassmen, all these things. And we still haven't gotten a championship. Um, You watch everyone else. And that's the difference. Even Joe Burrow, you know, he's not a big runner but he runs just enough to extend the play and do they do things that put him in a position to be successful, right. which, as you saw, changed, changed their offense. I mean, how many times did we get pressure on Joe Burrow? But it didn't mm-hmm. matter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not like you have to go out there and run it with him 20 times like Baltimore does with uh, Lamar Jackson, but you have to just switch he it. The threat. He has to pose a threat. Yeah, he has to pose a threat, and you've also just got to be willing to do it. It, just, it it opens up the run game, and I, and I don't want to to relive this, rehash this, as I broke it down last week. So if you missed that show, go check it out. Uh, but it just opens up the run game so much as defenders have to account for the quarterback in the run game, which keeps the defensive ends, keeps backside linebackers, whoever it is, from crashing down the, on the tailback. And you don't have those unblocked defenders coming in and just completely screwing up everything you're trying to do in the run game. It, it just it changes everything from that dynamic. But let me ask you this. Do you trust James Coley? If we're going to change our offense, do you trust James Coley to implement that style of offense, even though he has absolutely zero history and really zero experience of doing uh, in doing that? Um, and I, but I think that's also why we are in the process of hiring a co-OC or quarterbacks coach or whatever. I think Kirby's going to find someone who's, who has some experience with maybe some type of different offense because I think long-term Kirby is – I mean, as we've seen – He's openly said he would love to have dual threat quarterbacks because they pose such a problem. I mean, he's no yeah. first hand, especially as a DC, how difficult they are to prepare for and all those. Just different- the kind of guys that we're recruiting right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even Vandegrift is a mobile quarterback that can yeah. at least scare you with the move. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And, and I would also say this. I agree with you. And I will also say, watch, you know, don't let's not overlook what Matt and Luke can bring to the table. This guy was an offensive coordinator for two very well-respected minds and Hugh Freeze and David Cutcliffe at Duke. Very well-respected offensive minds. He was an offensive coordinator for those guys, has been around the block, has learned a lot of, of, of offensive football. And he op- – I mean, as the head coach, I know he wasn't calling the plays, but he was overseeing, I guess, uh, a, a very spread-esque offense. He's worked with Rich Rodriguez. So this guy can certainly bring some things to the table for us offensively. Even if he's not calling the plays in terms of game planning and uh, kind of rethinking, reevaluating, and adjusting our scheme – this guy can certainly be invaluable, not just an offensive line coach as a recruiter, but in that regard, in terms of just fix, you know, figuring out what we want our offense to look that's like. Understated higher. I mean, everyone thinks just in the offensive line terms. No, but no. Can bring more to the table. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. I, mean, I think that's why. I mean, that. yeah, it took that. I mean, we had to give him a big title to hire him, but I also think that Kirby trusted enough to give him. I think yeah. he's gonna. I, I think that we realistically, especially once we hire the co-OC, quarterbacks coach, whatever the the final. Ro- you know, title they want to give them. But the thing is, I I have a lot of, uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of different input where it's not just Jim Chaney who's used to that power attack. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. So what if you're if you were involved in the offensive game planning moving forward into 2020, what type of stuff do you specifically want to see us incorporate more so into our scheme? More RPOs. I mean, as simple as that. You, you watch Ohio State. I love watching Ohio State and Clemson offenses mainly because they never get tackled line scrimmage. If you watch it, by the time they're handing the ball off, they're both almost at the line of scrimmage, and it's almost it's very difficult to get them behind the line of scrimmage because they get so much momentum. You can't crash as hard, and I, I would love to just t- have that type of offense. I mean, you don't even have to pull it every time, but you do enough to where teams can't crash, and it gives you a numbers game. I mean, we are we're going to have a good offense line. Yeah, we're going to be young and experienced at times and everything but we're still going to be extremely talented. Um, yeah. So I would love to see us give them a chance. Uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I want to do. Yeah, you nailed it there. And I, I've, we've mentioned this before. Offensive football guys in, co- in the college game today, is all, it's become about numbers. It's all about numbers. You, you, you get numbers and you, you basically you, you adjust line of scrimmage. You call plays based on what, where you have the numbers advantage. If you have a numbers advantage in the box, you run the football. If, you, if you're outnumbered in the box, you throw the football. That's what the RPO game is all about. Uh, so I, I'm with you. I want, I want to see a more expansive RPO game. We did run RPOs with Jake. and like, like There's a misconception about what RPOs are out there. And we've talked about RPOs before. I did a show where we kind of just went through that and kind of laid that out for everybody. I know we have some new listeners. So real quickly, you know, RPOs, guys, like they're not necessarily made for the Lamar Jackson – of the world. That's not who they were created for. They were created for guys like Jake Fromm who can't really run the football. It's where you want to, cause like if you have, like it start out with a zone read, right? Kurt, where yeah. you, you take a, you, you basically take a defender out of the play just by reading him. And that gives you numbers advantage there. Cause he has to count for the quarterback. Well, there all these teams uh, that, that don't have mobile quarterbacks. They have more pro style guys like Jake Fromm. They see these teams running these zone reads and, and the running game is able to, they're running wild on teams because they get a numbers advantage by being able to read that, that backside in, or sometimes it's demons tackle. It could be an outside lever. There's different guys you could read. So they won. They were jealous. So they wanted to be able to do that, but they don't have a guy that can run the football. So what do you do to kind of get that same, that same effect without a guy that can run the football? What you do is, you instead of having two potential running options, you have a run option we could hand off or a pass option. So your reading guy, just like you you do if you're running a zone read, but you might be reading an inside linebacker. And if he crashes to take if he comes takes a step toward the line of scrimmage to to on the on the play on the play fake, the run fake, then you just take it and you throw it over his head. That that is what who it was those type of quarterbacks. I mean, you saw it was the NFC championship game or the national championship 
Where oh no, it's against Auburn in the SEC championship game, Jake's freshman year. We have a very big supposed to play running a true RPO to me, Cole yep. over the middle. Yep, absolutely. And I and that's one of the things I want us to run more of this past year. Cause like okay, if we don't have these dynamic receivers right now that are able to go out there and just create separation. RPO games, not only do they, they it's, it's a very simple, quick one read, and the receiver's running a very basic route. You should be able to hit that timing route. And not only does it help in that regard, but it also opens up your running a little bit more because now those linebackers, whoever it is, could be, it could be a, a star, it could be whoever it is that you're reading, now they can't insert themselves as aggressively into the run game. I want us to do far more of it this year. Uh, but I, I'm really excited about what Jamie Newman brings to the table. Not because he's a mobile quarterback. I mean, I'm excited about that. But that's not necessarily going to help him in the RPO game. What what the RP, what I'm excited about with him in the RPO game is that he has so much experience running that kind of stuff at Wake Forest. I think we have some slot players that can certainly uh, do some damage in that regard. So obviously I want to see more of that. I would really want to see us uh, really bring the quarterback run game here to Athens. I'm a big believer in what that does. Um, not even just for the quarterback being able to pick up yards, but what it does to open up everything else for our other really talented running backs, guys like like Zeus and Cook and Kenny McIntosh and, and Kendall Milton, potentially those anyone, kind of guys. It can make a make someone a complete different player. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I mean, I mentioned this in the last show. J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, is a really talented player, guys. He's really good, but he's not as good as he looks. Uh, the reason he just runs wild on teams, go watch them play, guys. If you have any of those games recorded, go back and watch the, the the semifinal game against Clemson if you have that game recorded. The man is not touched half the time until he's about 10 yards down the field because they have to account for the quarterback in the run game. And that just makes me salivate at the mouth to be able to think about us being able to do that. And I, I for so long, wanted us to be able to run quarterback power. I'm obsessed with quarterback, uh, quarterback power, quarterback lead, quarterback lead counter, all those kind of things. You can just gash teams with that. You can destroy them. It helps you stay ahead of the chains. It's so dangerous in the red zone. It's so hard to stop if you have a quarterback that can do it, especially when you have running backs as dangerous as we have. I mean, I'm, I'm just so excited to be able to do that. I want to see a very expansive quarterback run game. And, of course, I want to see us open up the vertical, vertical passing game a little bit more. That's the skill set Jamie Newman brings to the table. He's a very, very good deep ball passer. And I want, and we have guys like George Pickens that can go out and get those balls. I want to see us try to stretch the field a little bit more consistently. I, I would love, love, love to see that. But um, anyway, Kurt, so, so far, this conversation has been based off the assumption that Jamie Newman is indeed going to be our starting quarterback when we open the season on September 6th in Mercedes-Benz against Virginia. But we don't know that yet. How much – I mean, I think we all expect it, but we don't know that. How much of a fight do you think Carson Beck or potentially Dwan Madison, if he gets cleared, could potentially give him in this quarterback battle? And, like, is this really a battle or is it Jamie Newman's job? Um, I think, of course, it's going to be a battle, but I don't think there's as much that can do. I think the big thing that will – um, counteract or not counteract, but I think that has a lot to do with everything is the fact that Newman is going to be early enroll or not early, but he'll be here now. Yeah, he's here now. I mean, he's a mid year enrollee essentially. He's here on campus. Um, and he will be going through spring drills, all that good stuff, barring injury, knock on wood. Of course, he'll be here. So I, I think that does help, but like, like, really, like, is, is Carson Beck realistically going to beat out Jamie Newman right now? No, my prediction right now would be. No, uh, it's certainly not impossible. I don't like to speak in absolutes. Carson Beck could come in here and just be a, a boy wonder. He could be. Uh, I'm not closing the door on that, but I think I think Jamie Newman's the heavy favorite. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think that's a very weird favorite. Yeah, yeah, I think he's the, the heavy favorite. And another aspect of this transfer that, that I haven't really seen or heard discussed much are the potential recruiting implications of this decision. So, Kurt, like, how could the Newman transfer potentially help us 
from a recruiting perspective? Um, I mean, it shows, especially it depends on how we use him. But if we yep. use him correctly, then it, then uh, I think you have to be paying attention. Absolutely. All these guys, all these dual threat guys like Caleb Williams, for instance, that we're trying to recruit. And right, right now we're trying to sell them like a vision. We're not selling them a reality. We're not selling them something that we've done in the past. We're selling them what we think we can be, what we want to be. And that takes that takes a leap of faith on, on the part of those, some of those recruits when they haven't actually seen it from us, but they've seen it from other teams. They've seen it from Alabama. They've seen it from Oklahoma. They've seen it from, from LSU or whoever it is, but they haven't seen it from us. So if we can actually utilize Jamie Newman's skill sets and maximize them the way that they're meant to be used, then I think that can go a long way in us recruiting some of these dual threat guys, some of these highly talented dual threat guys that we are recruiting right now and in the future. I think that can really kind of pave the way for us to get some of those guys and not change our offer just for one year, but maybe – uh, moving forward year after year after year. And also say this, I think we kind of mentioned this uh, last week, but just to reiterate for anyone who might have missed that show, this also I think really helps us land one of those top two five-star quarterbacks from next year's class in the 2021 class, whether it's Brock Vandegrift from Athens Christian, or from, I'm sorry, from Prince Avenue, or Caleb Williams from uh, from the D.C. area. Because now if, if Jamie Newman does end up winning this job and starting for us, for one year and he's a stopgap kind of guy. Well, that means it's going to be a wide open competition between Carson Beck and whoever we bring in 2021, because some of the, I was concerned that one of those guys, since there wasn't much, much class separation, if Carson Beck had to be the guy and started this year for us, would we be able to land a Brock Vandegrift or Caleb Williams when the guy that's only one year ahead of them, um, already has a full year starting experience under his belt. It's, it's, which would have been very similar to the Jake from Justin Fields scenario, right? Yeah, it would have been the exact same. The exact same thing. The exact same thing. And you know, if Carson Beck had that year of experience, they might just they might not even come. Or if they do come and he's got the job, then they transfer in one year, just like Justin Fields did, because those guys are elite players. And they want to play right away. So I think this really helps us get one of those guys, and it will be an open competition between Beck, whoever it is we land, probably Vandegrift, I guess now, and maybe Math, hopefully Mathis, if he if he gets cleared. So I think that certainly helps us there as well. And real, Kurt, real quick before we get out of here, uh, we also landed Trey McKitty. FSU starting tight end as a grad transfer today on Monday, and we'd be remiss if we didn't at least discuss that. So, Kurt, how good is McKitty, and how much of an impact do you expect him to have in 2020? I think he's going to be very important for us, especially when it comes to spreading the field. Um, it's going to allow us to be a numbers game, like at goal line and even short. I mean, just in general, we could afford to go to uh, two tight end sets and still be uh, very dangerous. It's not like – when you go bunch, people would always know that, hey, we're running the ball. But that's not the case when you've got someone like that. It also takes a lot of pressure off a guy like Darnell Washington coming in as a true freshman, as talented as he is. people like It's always dangerous to expect a guy to have to start for you because you just have no one else there and no experience returning. So it doesn't take a lot of pressure off him as well. It does, and I think it could also help him with running routes and things like that because that's sure, probably what McKitty's best at. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really big pickup for us. For all those reasons you just laid out there for us, Curtis, but also because this guy is just a talented player. McKitty is a guy that can come in and, I believe, make an impact on our team. I, I'm not ready to say he's going to be our, our day one starter at tight end over Darnell Washington or potentially over some of the guys that we've got on the roster right now, guys like Fitzpatrick and Goday and Scyther. I mean, all those guys are certainly going to be in the competition as well. But I'll say this, like we're bringing in Trey McKitty for a reason. We didn't just go out and get him because like we think he's a nice guy. He, from all accounts, sounds like a really great guy. I think he's on his way to get his pilot's license right now. So intelligent guy, mature guy, really interesting stuff there. But we went out and got him for a reason because we felt like there was a need. Kirby, one thing we can all agree on, I think, is that Kirby does not just give out scholarships for charity. 
he gives out scholarships to guys he thinks will help us win and help us get that elusive national title. And he gave one to Trey McKitty because he thinks he can contribute and he thinks there was a need there. We've got Darnell Washington coming in. And I, honestly, I, if I had, look, we can, you never know for sure, but if I had projected, I was going to say Washington probably would end up being our day one starter at tight end. But with McKitty, there's a chance that he could end up filling that role or at the very least be a, a, a one two combination with Darnell Washington. And you guys know, I mean, despite what we do with our offense this year, I still think a tight end is going to be a big piece of that. And we've traditionally used multiple tight ends quite often. I expect that this will be a part of our offense. And I think going out and getting Trey McKitty would, would certainly lead us to, to believe that we still will be using tight ends heavily in our offense, no matter what we might do to it to change it aesthetically and, and, and schematically. But I mean, this guy can contribute. Now, he hasn't put up like you know, astounding numbers at Florida State, but you also have to factor in that there was a lot of inconsistency at the quarterback position. Just in that program in general, it's been on really shaky ground for a while now. I think he's had five quarterbacks in three years, five different signal callers throwing the football in three years. Um, there's inconsistency there, so therefore his numbers are inconsistent. He would have big games here and there. Speaking of Wake Forest, he actually had a pretty big game against Wake Forest this year, his biggest game of the year, I think over 70 yards receiving. But uh, he's had big games, but he's also had games where he just didn't really do much of anything. And certainly, you can that that's there's probably some inconsistency in his game as well. But you also have to look at what's going on the, the wider context of that situation with that situation at Florida State. But he's got 50 catches for 520 yards in his career, 10.4 yards per catch, two touchdowns. This past year, he had 23 catches for 241 yards. Uh, and that was actually more receptions than our top two tight ends combined. Look at Charlie Warner and Eli Wolf together. Clearly our top two tight ends. Really, as the season went on, the only two guys that played at that position for us. They had 22 catches combined. McKitty had 23 catches himself this year. Uh, McKitty had 241 yards receiving on his own, whereas our top two tight ends, they, they combined for a little bit more than McKitty, but not by much. They only, what, 23 yards more, 264 yards themselves combined. So, uh, look... This guy is certainly capable of not just competing for a spot, but being a major contributor for us at that position. I don't expect him to go out there and catch 40, 50 balls or anything like that, but he absolutely, think at the very least, would be a really good compliment to Darnell Washington. We'll see just how ready Washington is to contribute as like a day one type starter once he gets here. I think he has the potential for that, but he's still a young guy. There's a lot to learn. There's always growing pains no matter how talented you are. So to have a guy like Trey McKitty, in the fold here. I think that helps us tremendously. It could be a situation where he comes, he starts the first couple games as we work Darnell Washington into the fold and get him uh, ready to be a major contributor. Because don't get me wrong, guys, I think Washington is going to play a lot of downs for us this year. He's going to be a big time contributor for us. But again, we use multiple tight ends. I think McKitty could be that one-two punch with Darnell Washington this year. And I'm really excited about him because he, he brings a lot of athleticism to the table. He's a very fluid athlete. He moves really well. He's not uh, the big physical type body now, he, he certainly can stay in and block, but I think where his impact will really come is the versatility that he will bring to the table because he gives us a, a skill set and an athleticism at the tight end position that we quite simply have not had in, in a while. It's been a while. I mean, I know Isaac Nauta is uh, playing in the NFL right now, but he is, in my opinion, a good bit more athletic than Nauta. Maybe not as proficient of a blocker, not quite as big as Nauta, but he he's more fluid. He's more of a, of a true athletic, kind of like new age hybrid type tight end. 
You can do a lot of things with him. You can spread him out wide, not just in the slot, but you put him outside wide. You bring George Pickens or somebody in the slot there, and you force defenses to make a choice. Do you put a smaller cornerback on your big physical tight end, or do you put your linebackers all the way out there in space and force them to cover one-on-one with no help or very little help? That that puts defenses in a really, really tough spot if you have a tight end that can do things like that. And we just, quite honestly, again, have not had a tight end like that in a while. I'm not trying to build him up to be something he's not. He has not put up, uh, like I said, significantly dominant numbers or anything like that but if you watch the guy play this is a guy that I think can make plays for us and can certainly be a contributing part of our offense and give us something that we haven't really had on this offense in in quite a while but uh, so just really good to uh, to fill another need there and get a guy the caliber of Trey McKitty a guy who's got a lot of starting experience uh, at the power five level but um, really good pickup there all right guys that does it for us here today on the glory UGA podcast as always we really appreciate you guys taking time to listen to our show here today and supporting us and we will be back later in the week Charlie and I will actually be back later in the week to do uh, part two of our postseason mailbag, I guess is what we're going to call it. I know we gave you part one last week. I promise we are not going to forget about the, the the other part. I know a lot of you sent in questions that we have not gotten to yet. We will have those covered for you later in the week. If you have questions that you have not sent in yet, please feel free to send those in. You can hit us up at glory underscore UGA on Twitter. And uh, if Twitter's not your thing, you can email us as well, glorygapodcast at gmail.com. And we will do our best to get to each and one of those questions. Well, we saved all the recruiting questions, but so if you have a recruiting question, of course, send that in. We're also still taking team questions, basketball questions, whatever it is that you have in mind. Send those our way, and we will have you guys covered later in the week. But thanks again for Curtis. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.